This is the latest edition of Return to Reason with Leon Fontaine, where knowledge, common sense, and wisdom intersect. With a high value of people and their right to think for themselves, Return to Reason endeavors to present the whole story so that you can make fully informed, wise decisions and bring positive change to your life, community, and to the nation. And now, here's Leon Fontaine. For too long years, society has been faced with an aggressive narrative that says, wear this, do this, stop this, and you must comply with these things. If you're a quote, good person, it's morally reprehensible not to protect children at all costs. See how that gets convoluted? What exactly is at all costs? Today in part one of a series, I'll be exploring the success and failures of non-pharmaceutical interventions, NPIs, to actually prevent COVID-19 mortality. The first NPI we'll discuss is face masks. Should you or your kids be wearing these at all? On today's episode of Return to Reason, the failure of NPIs. They seem pretty innocent and harmless, right? After all, it's just a mask. The problem is the messaging from authorities wasn't balanced. All ability to critically think and do your own personal risk assessment was removed. Why is it that wave after wave of cases, they seem to dig their heels in deeper about masking? It begs the question, is the mandating of masks about protecting your health? Or is it about demonstrating your compliance? Today, I'd like to take you through some of the scientific findings of the kinds of pathogens that were found on children's masks, a relevant court case in Canada, and cite several peer-reviewed and published studies about mask usage. Ultimately, you can do what you want with this information. Case in point. We routinely observe people wearing masks outdoors or while in front of their computers alone. Somewhere, somebody forgot to remind people to take a deep breath and think. Masks do not prevent computer viruses. Fast forward 10 years. What about all the teenagers who were forced to wear masks day in and day out and told this was their ticket to safety and health? Prom pictures might look like this for decades. Worst of all, young people will think masks will protect against all kinds of germs. We owe it to this young generation to debunk myths about masks and ask Canadians to think for themselves. Not only are there major holes in the narrative about masks protecting us from COVID infection, there is almost no acknowledgement of the potential harmful side effects of wearing face coverings for hours on end. The glaring omission of risk and the fact that these masks were mandated for little children inspires me to do a little digging and to share what I've learned. After all, any adult is owed the courtesy of all the relevant information available so he or she can make an informed risk assessment. This process is magnified tenfold for parents who instinctively want to protect their children from harm. Let's take a box of these masks right here. It says right here on the top, this device does not protect against biohazards, bacteria, and viruses. 
Well, that's the baseline we're working from. Respiratory droplets, carrying infection or not, are characterized by size. COVID-19 is primarily transmitted by aerosols. We're talking about these droplet nuclei and small water droplets. Scientific studies before this pandemic have shown that low-cost masks, and so we're talking about surgical masks and the cloth masks we're wearing, these low-cost masks have pore sizes that range between 80 and 500 microns in size, so a huge range, right? The, the diameter of the virus is one micron. The largest possible small droplet that would comprise a typical aerosol and two viral particles is 62 microns in diameter. So I just want to put that in perspective. The smallest pore size is 80. So that means the largest droplet coated with the virus can pass right through. Dr. Paul Alexander is an epidemiologist focusing on evidence-based medicine and research methodology. He has a master's in epidemiology from University of Toronto and a master's degree from Oxford University. In a recent article for the Brownstone Institute, he laid out 167 scientific citations for the ineffectiveness of masking the general public. It is not unreasonable to conclude that surgical and cloth masks used as they currently are being used without other forms of personal protective equipment have no impact on controlling the transmission of COVID-19 virus. Current evidence implies that face masks can be actually harmful. The body of evidence indicates that face masks are largely ineffective. An Alberta chiropractor, Dr. Curtis Wall, was taken to court by the College of Chiropractors of Alberta for, quote, unprofessional conduct when he could no longer wear a mask while working due to his medical condition. Lawyers on both sides listened to hours of expert witness testimony outlining the use of masks, potential harms, and their effectiveness to curb spread. Here's one highlight. A cluster randomized trial in rural Bangladesh capturing the results of over 300,000 adults and the largest, most comprehensive study to date released the following findings in April 2021. Villages where everyone wore a surgical mask had an infection rate of 0.67 and villages where everyone was unmasked had an infection rate of 0.76%. Let's put that in relatable terms of your Canadian chiropractor's office. The court transcript reads, At those rates, eight weeks of mask wearing by all of Alberta's 1,100 chiropractors would only prevent one infection. Not one death, one infection. In May of uh, 2020, the chiropractors were permitted by the provincial government here in Alberta to practice, but they had to have lots of restrictions. And one of them was the you know mandatory all the time, no matter what, masking, right? Doesn't matter if you're asymptomatic or whatever, you have to mask all the time while you're working. So he tried it and he discovered that it had serious impacts on it. Uh, it, was, it was impacting patient care because he couldn't focus properly on what he was doing. So he took it off. He didn't wear it. Everything was fine. But then, of course, uh, you know, somebody decided to complain in November of 2020. He did get a medical note. He had he had medical verification of it. You know, it wasn't just him making it up. Uh, he provided that to the college, but they weren't happy. They wanted to suspend his license and make sure he couldn't practice. These days, we like to let 
somebody else do our thinking for us. We like to let the government do our thinking or, or, or some you know, panel of experts that we'll never talk to. And here you go, right? You get tyranny when you do that, right? The moment you, you let somebody else do too much of your own thinking for you, you can expect to be a slave to a tyrannical state. That's exactly what we got. As of filming this episode, the tribunal hearing remains ongoing. Check out Liberty Coalition Canada for all the latest updates on Dr. Curtis Wall's case. If you'd like to read the expert testimony for yourself, they are publicly available. Is masking kids all day an effective way to protect them from COVID? Is it to protect the adults who they come into contact with? Who is protecting whom? How much of forcing healthy children to wear masks is political theater? On March 16th of this year, Washington, D.C. became one of the very last major metropolitan areas in the U.S. to finally end mask mandates for students. However, this lifting of the mandate doesn't necessarily mean schools are mask-free. One D.C. parent of a private charter school says they see no end in sight to the school's internal masking policy, regardless of what the local government is saying. Our principal told us that right now, masks are still required indoors for all students, says one mother. Students only gained the right to go maskless outdoors as recently as March 28th. They wore them during sports, even outdoor track was masked, reported another mother. The frenzy around masking doesn't seem to answer to common sense. The World Health Organization's recommendations for children typically airs on the side of caution. Even the WHO says children do not need to wear a mask when playing sports or doing physical activities such as running, jumping, or playing as it may affect their breathing. Canadian lawyer Leighton Gray who has been involved in the prosecution of Alberta's chief medical officer of health, explains the situation as such. When I see someone, and we often see people outside, even now, wearing masks, uh, my heart goes out to them. I'm not angry at them. I feel so badly for them because, it, you know, and it shows the failure of our public health system that these people are, are walking around in such ignorance and such fear. Uh, I actually put the question to Dr. Hinshaw under cross-examination, I, I said, Dr. Hinshaw, there is no known study uh, which supports the idea that people can get are at risk, at serious risk of getting COVID-19 outside. And, sh and she agreed. So there's, there actually is no authoritative study anywhere in the world uh, which supports the idea that we should be wearing masks outside. In the summer of 2021, a group of parents in Florida got together and paid a lab to analyze their children's masks. The kids were given fresh masks at the beginning of a school day. The children wore the masks for one school day as they normally would. The masks were put into a bag and frozen until they could be collected by the lab for analysis. The findings were shocking to this group of concerned parents, so much so that they published the results in their local paper. 96 unique strains were detected from familiar pathogens such as strep, tuberculosis, meningitis, E. coli, and staph. None of the pathogens on the masks were COVID or a virus of any kind. You can look up these findings online for yourself.
This is not a peer-reviewed study. It was small in scale and only revealed some preliminary data. Dr. Kari Basso, director of the research lab and education center at the University of Florida, explains. The problem is, is that it's very difficult to go forward with these studies. Um, nobody wants to, for one thing, they're afraid. And um, the other thing is, is that it's really hard to get an IRB. Anytime you do research on humans, you have to get IRB approval, which is Institutional Review Board. And they review because we can't just go crazy on experimenting on humans. And so um, there's rules and stuff. And an IRB won't approve <laughs> a mass study of children because the mass are, they, they're considered harmful. To me, my biggest disappointment is that I feel like this is a very valid preliminary study that warrants further investigation. And uh, I, it, it's just, just stopped. No, I'm, um, it's the university doesn't want me to uh, do any more outside work like this. Um, and I find that very disappointing because, you know, I, I, scientists are supposed to want to answer questions. And I feel like these are uh, really significant questions and should be replicated. It should be done on a larger study. It should be done uh, with more controls. Um, uh, and just, it's, it's pretty disappointing that it's just ignored. Parents everywhere should be alarmed. In an April 2022 interview concerning New York City's mask mandate for children, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, who holds leadership and advisory positions at the Center for Disease Control, New Jersey Department of Health, and the Radiological Society of New Jersey, she is also an author and a mother of three, says... By continuing to mask young children when we know there is no proven benefit and really only harm at this point, you're going to start having more people not listen because we have such a distrust in public health authorities at this time. We have to follow the science, and masking two to four-year-olds is not following the science. Medical-grade face masks have long been in use before the COVID pandemic. Researchers have studied their effectiveness at stopping the spread of multiple bacterial and viral pathogens, including influenza, H1N1, and SARS. Listen to these highlights of their findings. A 2010 Cambridge University found no significant differences in protection against laboratory-confirmed influenza infection associated with the use of surgical masks or N95 masks among nurses. A 2017 systematic review and meta-analysis from Saunders Hastings Face mask use provided a non-significant protective effect against 2009 pandemic influenza infection. A 2020 assessment of the N95 masks among the general public in Singapore. These findings support ongoing recommendations against the use of N95 masks by the general public during the COVID-19 pandemic. N95 mask use by the general public may not translate into effective protection, but instead provide false reassurance. Beyond N95 masks, proficiency among the general public in donning surgical masks needs to be assessed. 
a March 2021 randomized control trial in Denmark looking at mask usage to fight the spread of COVID-19. Surgical masks to supplement other public health measures did not reduce the SARS-CoV-2 infection. The National Library of Medicine, findings of a study done in Texas, USA, during the second wave of COVID. There was no reduction in per-population daily mortality, hospital bed, ICU bed, or ventilator occupancy of the COVID-19 positive patients attributed to the implementation of a mask-wearing mandate. In March of 2021, a Washington reporter analyzed the Center for Disease Control's findings. The CDC examined cases and deaths at the county level from March to December 2020 in the first 100 days after masks were mandated and restaurants were allowed to reopen. Counties in states that issued mask mandates saw COVID-19 cases drop by half of a percentage point in the first 20 days. The effect grew, topping out at a decline of 1.8 percentage points between days 81 and 100. Deaths dropped by 0.7 percentage points in the first 20 days and 1.9 percentage points in days 81 to 100. 0.7 and 1.9% in other words, statistically insignificant. Those percentages don't exactly match up with what we were told on the news every night. Most of the time, the general public were told that a face mask was the absolute best way to protect yourself, your kids, grandma, and the business owner down the street. I mean, you remember the phrase, my mask protects you, your mask protects me? It seems as if that was only part of the story. I can't think of anything more condescending than reducing infection control to a parroted mantra, as if all of society needed to be treated and disciplined like children. But let's just say masks do, in one way or another, reduce the amount of COVID infections. Not deaths, necessarily, but infections. Are they worth it? A research paper entitled, Physiological and Psychological Impact of Face Mask Usage During the COVID-19 Pandemic tells us, Each patient wore a new N95 mask for four hours during their dialysis session. 70% of patients showed a reduction in partial pressure of oxygen, and about 19% developed hypoxemia, which is a term for low levels of oxygen in the blood. Hypoxemia can cause headaches and shortness of breath. In severe cases, it can interfere with heart and brain function. I wonder how long it'll take before the reduced productivity of masked workers will even be studied. A very recent 2022 British publication reviewed disposable surgical mask usage and is the first to report microplastics within human lung tissue samples using spectroscopy and reported that microplastics were identified in all regions of the human lungs. Furthermore, polypropylene and polyethylene terephthalate fibers were the most abundant. Researchers concluded that inhalation was a root of microplastic exposure. Suffice it to say, 
We have no idea the long-term effects of what we've been forcing ourselves to breathe in for months. Dr. Byron Bridal, an associate professor of viral immunology at the University of Guelph in Ontario, has been censored and ridiculed for his common sense and highly qualified scientific analysis repeatedly. His comments have been at odds with the approved narrative on COVID public measures in Canada. In a written article, which all parents should read for themselves, he says, an unfortunate and underappreciated long-term legacy of this pandemic will likely be a cluster of pandemic youth that grow up to suffer higher than average rates of allergies and asthma. This will hold true for children in all countries that enacted isolation policies. Raising children during the pandemic has largely occurred in isolated, sanitized environments that are unprecedented in extent and duration. These kids are at greater risk of developing hypersensitivities and autoimmune diseases than anyone before them. BC occupational therapist and holistic nutritionist Michelle Riddle has extensive experience working with children and adults, even instructing at a university level a course on infection control. When we look at um, the standards for infection control, and, and these are durable, these are evidence-based standards that have been in place for decades. Um, the, the, the idea of masking to control the spread of a virus is absolutely not that. When we look at universal precautions, um, the, the, the first thing is, number one, to keep yourself healthy. Um, so that's looking at what you eat. That's looking at, you know, the amount of sleep that you get. That's looking at the amount of exercise you have, getting out in the fresh air, getting good vitamin D. The other piece is um, hand washing um, with soap and water, um, keeping yourself clean once you've been in contact with, with others. It was really, really disturbing for me to see face coverings mandated in the general population. It increases the, 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 the bacterial load, the, the viral load within the masks themselves. The kids are always playing with it. Their hands are always around their face. Um, so, so that's a hazard in and of itself. Um, then it stops the, the uh, uptake of oxygen by about 30%. Um, so that's really significant with developing brains. And without getting enough oxygen, these kids' brains are not able to, number one, work the way they should in the moment, but also developmentally in terms of the long-term impacts from extended mask wearing, I have, again, very significant concerns about what that's going to do to the brain development for our kids. The, the, the masking uh, component that we see now propagates more spread. So what does it mean to protect kids from COVID at all costs? Just based on mask wearing alone, it means subjecting them to dozens of harmful pathogens collecting on masks and being inhaled for the duration of wear. Inhaling polypropylene fibers that can cling to the lung tissue, reducing their oxygen intake and making them more prone to asthma, allergies, and autoimmune disorders, psychologically paralyzing them into living in a world where the threat of germs is always top of mind. All that 
And their statistically insignificant risk of death from COVID is not changed by the use of masks, as it is statistically zero. Presenting unbalanced data and arguments to the mask question would be oversimplifying things. You deserve to know that some scientists do think there is sufficient evidence to say face coverings may help curb spread of COVID-19. Not stop transmission, but help slow the spread from person to person. Causation and correlation are up for debate. Does wearing a mask remind those around you to maintain social distancing? And do surgical masks prevent large droplets from a cough or sneeze from traveling so far? Maybe so. If wearing a surgical mask for hours on end didn't cause any harm or any reduction of proper airflow, a case could be made for their use on symptomatic people. In March 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic, in an interview on 60 Minutes, Anthony Fauci himself said, When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a droplet. But it is not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and touching their face. After everything I've highlighted today, let me be clear. It is absolutely your choice to wear a mask. If it makes you feel safe and protected, go for it. My goal today was simply to prove that if the authorities felt it necessary to mandate we all wear masks to protect society, then they owe us the honest and open truth about the possible side effects and the possible benefits, however negligible. The former wasn't advertised, and the latter was totally misrepresented in the media. The results were society believed a lie, and that lie is still being propagated by governments and health authorities. After all you've heard today, you might still be thinking, well, it is what it is. It's just a mask. It's just for now. In 2007, a psychologist blogged about a phrase he had been seeing in his practice. I'll let you decide how much this rings true today. It is what it is, is a deceptive statement. The words and tone imply acceptance of the current state of affairs, but the underlying sentiment is frustration and helplessness. As a psychiatrist, I'm quite familiar with irony, cynicism, and satire, but that's not what this statement is. This is a defense mechanism. Not only that, it's the Ebola virus of defense mechanisms denial. I find it interesting that he used the metaphor of a virus and contagion to illustrate behavior. Now that's something to consider. How much of the pandemic narrative gained momentum purely based on the virus of fear? It's very hard to admit you made a wrong decision or a bad decision for your children. Even harder is the will to change a behavior based on new information, especially if you fear social rejection. And the hardest task yet, to stand up to authorities by voicing your concern. Wearing a mask should be a choice. And the least we can do is make that choice after being informed. 
I think we're long overdue to have a public, thoughtful conversation about the role of non-pharmaceutical interventions in our lives, whether it be with COVID or any future disaster that the government wishes to mitigate. By now, we should all be seriously considering why the COVID narrative from governments censors all opposing science, hypothesis, and thought. If what they are mandating is so strong and effective, why can't it withstand a little debate? They literally have muzzled the public. Why do mask mandates constantly have to be defended by their gatekeepers? When you visit our website, press the Request Reference Material button and get a full document listing all the studies I've mentioned and more. You can use this when you write to your elected officials, school boards, and health authorities. Voice your concern about mandating masks on children. And if you are required to wear a mask at work, voice your concern to your employer as well. Always do so in a consistent, respectful manner. It will have a greater impact than an emotional outburst. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast or email list so you don't miss the next installment in this series, The Failure of NPIs, Non-Pharmaceutical Interventions. I think you'll find the statistics shocking. Share this show with someone who needs to hear truth or be reassured of truth. Masks cannot and will not save you from all harms. Let's all return to reason. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv. There, you can also find out more about Leon, his books, and his other media series. You can help us grow this podcast by rating, reviewing, sharing this episode with a friend, or subscribing. Still want more? Follow Leon Fontaine on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have a suggestion for the show or would like the reference material for this episode, use the link in the show notes.